Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So on today's episode, I am interviewing the lovely Catherine Blackaby. Catherine is a development advisor in the NHS England Sustainable Improvement Time for Care team or Time for Care faculty. She's absolutely amazing. She loves quality improvement. And we just have a chit chat about what is quality improvement, why it's important, how it can transform the way you work, how it can transform the way you think and tackle problems. Catherine talks about quality improvement as both a mindset and a toolkit to help you to enable positive change. Catherine shares with us that all improvement is change, but not all change is improvement. She gives us some tools that we can go away and start using straight away, all with the aim of looking at a situation with curiosity and not criticism and trying to look at is there a better way of doing things? Everybody in the Time for Care faculty, I honestly would say, are the nicest, kindest, brightest people working in primary care. They absolutely love their jobs. They're so dedicated to helping you guys to deliver more effective patient care and to also, they want to take care of you and make sure you guys are happy to deliver your work. So I really hope that you enjoy this interview. I absolutely loved it. Catherine is definitely coming back. Pull out a pen and paper, put the kettle on and enjoy. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, Kathy, you are a development advisor in the Time for Care faculty, as am I. And the main reason I wanted to get you onto the podcast, we had a really good conversation the other day about quality improvement and trying to make it easy and simple for people to understand. And we just both wish that more people knew about this stuff. But I think if you're not in that world, the language and the terminology may seem very alien. Um, So I just thought it'd be great to get you on to help simplify what is quality improvement and the benefits of it. Are you game? I'm definitely game for that, yes. So you're a development advisor in the Time for Care faculty, the NHS England Sustainable Improvement uh, Directorate. But tell us a little bit about yourself and about your background. Yeah, so I'm I'm working as a development advisor, as you say, uh, and that is about helping practice teams and networks to manage their workload, um, adopt and spread improvements, develop skills, to be able to lead those kind of changes and also to develop collaboration. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I also do a bit of coaching and facilitation independently as well. And how I came to that was I worked in the NHS. It will be 30 years this year that I've I've worked in the NHS. Um, And I did throughout that time, I did a whole range of different operational management and leadership roles. Um, And then about um, about 10 years ago, I suppose, I moved more into um, national improvement programs. So working very specifically around quality improvement and how you get changes to happen. 
Um, and it's just something that really continues to inspire me. So I've got, I've got a combination, I suppose, of that really practical hands-on experience of living, living the, um, through what it's like to work on the front line in the NHS, but also being able to bring in some of that, the, the stuff I really enjoy, which is about how you can do things differently. And why do you feel so passionately about this stuff? You know, I, work, I worked for years in um, service redesign and managing uh, operations and all that sort of thing. And then I think it was about 2007. I was trying to work out how long ago it was, but it was about 2007. I was working on um, an urgent care improvement program. I was really struggling with how do we manage the demand and how do we change that? You know, we're struggling with long waiting times. We're struggling with massive demand and capacity and I couldn't, you know, I was really struggling with how do we make this stuff work? There must be an easier way of trying to manage this. And I, I think I was just trawling on the internet looking for inspiration. And I came across the NHS Institute for Innovation and Improvement. And I got in touch with them to say I was doing this bit of work. And I had this total light bulb moment because somebody said, oh, yeah, there's a way you can do that. You know, and there are tools that you can use that will help you work out how many people you need on at any time in order to meet the demand that's coming through the door. I just remember thinking, well, why didn't nobody tell me this before? <laughs> and I was lucky enough then to get a fellowship um, at, at the Institute and, and to learn a lot of the, the, the tools and techniques around um, quality improvement work. And while the one which is about how you manage that demand and capacity, which is a, a queuing theory tool, that is a really complex tool. That's a really, you know, that is something that's quite hard to do, but really worthwhile. While that was a difficult one, there were so many more simple, straightforward, practical things you could do that just made it simpler to do the day-to-day -day work. And I just sort of sat there thinking, everybody needs to know this stuff because it just makes the day job easier. So how would you describe quality improvement to somebody with no QI background? There's, um, there's a bit of a, a guru in, in QI in healthcare called Paul Batalden, and he talks about the combined and unceasing efforts of everyone to make the changes that will improve outcomes and experience. So that's really, I like the combined and unceasing efforts. So QI is about making sure that those changes that we want to make are effective. Um, and there's that, there's a, a long long-standing um, saying in, in QI which is you know all all improvement is change but not all change is improvement so the thing about QI is how do we adopt a much more systematic approach to use tools and techniques that we know can enhance our chance of success in order to make the care that we provide safer more effective provide better experience be more reliable be more efficient and I think the thing for me is it's probably about both having a mindset and a toolkit in order to do the right things better. So the mindset is about curiosity rather than criticism. When I approach a problem with a, a QI mindset, the, the, bit, the quality improvement bit is about how do we know how well we're doing? What is that telling us? And if something isn't working, that's interesting. Why isn't it working? What have we learned from something that we've done? So it's an attitude that's saying, I'm interested in, in what's going on and how I might do it better. And then the toolkit is, what are some of the things I could use in order to more effectively change the way I do stuff? So that's all it is really. It's a bit about curiosity about what's working and what isn't working and why, and then having a bit of a toolkit that says, 
well, I can have a go at making this better in a systematic way so that it's clear what I'm doing and the impact that it's having. I love it when you said it's curiosity, not criticism. And do you ever, I suppose, what challenges do you come across and face when you go into a department or we go into practice and they've invited you in, they've invited us in to say, we would like to do something differently. And then we start to ask the ask questions. Some of them are difficult. Some of them are simple. I'm leading you here because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> but yeah, would you share in your own words, what criticism or what pushback and feedback do you get when you start to ask those curious questions? Sometimes, well, there, there tends to be, particularly in healthcare, I think, there tends to be a bit of a, a, a stick and blame mentality. And sometimes when we start asking, so how are things going? People aren't always happy to share the things that aren't working. Sometimes people feel that... The, the difference between, I suppose, what we do and what people may be used to experiencing is I'm not interested in knowing how things are going from a performance management point of view. I'm not here to tell you off or catch you out. I'm interested to know how things work and how you might do them better. And, and I think the, the other thing about that is going into a practice, people are usually working flat out already. They're working as hard as they can. And what we are not there to do is say, you must go faster. You know, you, you must do more. Because if people are working as hard as they can already, just telling them to do more is never going to work. So sometimes there's a bit of resistance. Sometimes there's a bit of anxiety about admitting what's not going well. Um, and sometimes there's something about, well, you know, you don't work here. How, how do you know how things are? Which, yeah. you know, and it's difficult. I don't work there. I don't know how things are. But I am, as a facilitator, as an improvement advisor, I am there to help them make the difference that they want to make. It's not my agenda. I'm not coming in to, to ask people or to tell people what to do. There is no right answer. You know, this is about healthcare is a really complex system. Processes within a practice are really complex. They will be different in every practice. What we're there to do is help people unpick what's going on to solve a problem that they've identified they've got. So where do we start? We are in the field of healthcare we think there is a project, uh, a real life example is um, working with a team that say they want to improve the care and access for young people with mental health um, issues. So we've got a project. Where do we start? The, the place I usually start is the thing I usually say to people is, so what is the problem that you want to solve? And, and there's a reason for that. So one, one thing is sometimes people have got a solution in mind. And they just want to implement it. And that's absolutely fine. But that's not an improvement project. So if I'm coming into an improvement advisor, what I want to know is what will be different as a result of you doing the thing you want to do. So what is it that you want to tackle, that you want to change, that you want to improve? So define the, what the problem is and how you know it is a problem. So in that instance, it might be that they... Um, I don't know. I don't know the situation. But if somebody was to say to me, the reason we want to do something about this is that we have a huge number of maybe we're not seeing those people. We, we are not seeing the number of people, younger people with mental health problems that we think we should be. And that we that we feel, therefore, that the problem is we may be missing early intervention and we may be providing not being able to provide the care that those people need in a timely way. But you need to know what your problem is and you need to be able to tell me how you know it is a problem. That's where you need to start. So often people won't, they've got a solution, 
but they won't know. They've got an inkling, you know, like it's a feeling. It is. We all there is a consensus that there is something that is wrong, and we want to fix it. You come in and say, "Tell me what the problem is, and how do you know it's really a problem?" And they may not necessarily know. There's no data, or there's no. There's only their opinion. Their opinion is valid. Don't get me wrong. Um, so then, what do you do? So that so it is. We we think we've got a problem when we coming at it from a quality improvement perspective we really want to know what is the problem where what is the issue what would be different so what do we need to gather in order to be able to ask that question answer that question you have to have some kind of data to start with and if so the bit about the gut feeling is is a perfectly valid place to start we feel there's something not right here yeah so what is it that's making you feel something's not right here? Is it that you're seeing too many people coming back for the same thing? You're not seeing anybody coming in for something or you're not getting people coming back when you think they should? Is your prescribing too high or too low compared to something else? Sometimes what prompts an improvement project is an audit. So an audit in itself is not an improvement project, but an audit might prompt you to think that's weird. We're a bit of an outlier there. Or that's weird. That doesn't look like how it feels. So there is sometimes that thing of it just doesn't feel right. But if you're going to in introduce a change, going back to what I said before, that um, all improvement is change, but not all change is improvement. If you're going to change something, you need to know where you're starting from in order to know that when you've made a change, it's making things better, not just changing things. One of my real red flags is when I, you know, if I go into it and they say, well, what we need to do is this. That, that's a really difficult situation because people have already decided what the answer is, but they may not actually have done that baseline work. So you need, you need a starting point to say, have we really understood what the issue is? What's causing the issue? What are some of the factors at play so that we can tackle the right things and save our own time and energy? The danger with leaping to a solution is it may be a really good solution. It just may not be the solution to the problem you've got. Can you describe what people do when you say, we need to do an audit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those words very rarely leave my lips. <laughs> to be fair, it does vary. So clinicians are really used to doing audits. That's, you know, it's part of the day job. They're important. They tell us that. But audit is about a, a judgment tool. Are we doing what we say we're doing? Are we hitting a target? Are we, are we within the boundaries of what's acceptable or not? And that can, as I say, it can be a good prompt. If, you, if you're an outlier, you might think, well, what's going on there? If you say to people, we need to do an audit. So there are different reactions to measurement, aren't there? Some people love it. They go, oh, yes, an audit. Lovely. Can't wait to get my hands. But uh, most people go, oh, no. You know, audit, numbers, yeah. measurement, counting, no. One of the things that's really nice about quality improvement work is you say to me, I've got a bit of a gut feel. Something's not quite right here. I don't think, you know, I just think we need to do something about this. I probably wouldn't say to you, you need to do an audit. I might say to you, what would tell you whether things were good or bad? What might you need to know? And I might just say, well, just keep a note of it today. So, for example, if we're looking at in a practice appointments that are booked with GPs that maybe could have been seen by somebody else. One of the things I usually ask the, the, the practice team to do is just keep a tally chart on the phone. So how many requests a day do you get for this? And it's literally pencil and paper by the phone. 
And is it a request for a GP? Is it a request for a nurse? Is it a request for another AHP? Whatever. And it's a really quick and easy tool. It's no real effort to do that. While you're on food, you literally just do an tally chart. And you do that for a couple of days, and then you can start to see a bit of a pattern emerge. And you can go, yeah, do you know what? There really are a lot of people asking for something on a Monday and a Tuesday that they never ask for on a Wednesday or a Thursday, or whatever it might be. But it just gives you a bit of a starting point. And the interesting thing is that sometimes when you collect that baseline data, it tells you something you weren't expecting. It will either prove your gut hunch or it will make you go, well, that's interesting. I didn't think that was part of the problem. And that's what I mean about the curiosity, not criticism. We're not trying to catch people out and say, that's the thing that's wrong. And it's never, ever as simple as there's one thing, we put that one thing right and everything will be fine. It just isn't. It's a, you know, it, we work in this real complex system with lots of different factors at play all the time, lots of human factors going on, and humans are not so easy to pigeonhole and say, if we tell you to do this, you'll definitely do it. There's lots of that stuff going on. So what we're trying to do is unpick what are some of the things that are happening? What might we expect to see change if we were to implement the plan that we've got so if we're if we're able to understand what actually happens rather than what we think happens or say happens we've got a far better chance of introducing a change that will make the difference that we want to see so i think for those listening i think it's really helpful in when you're thinking of something's not right and we want to fix it is a good starting point is to collect some data in a really simple way at a tally chart, start to just, it makes you a bit more mindful of the conversations that you're having, what's the issues and what is the knock-on impact so they can start to collect that data. Would you be able to share some tools that people may not know? You know, like when you're kind of, when you maybe you're at school and you go to college and you go to uni and you kind of collect these tools and you go on these training, but you don't necessarily know like, oh, like I use that tool all the time I didn't realize it was kind of part like I could use that for quality improvement could you share some kind of well-known tools that we use or definitely would have heard of yeah I mean it's interesting because I can remember at school learning how to work out the the area of the playing field and that's something I've never actually had to use that I don't think but those sort of things that probably might be useful at some point um, (laughs) and some are probably more useful than others um so uh, uh, just because we were just talking about data, one of the things that, that is interesting to consider is a lot of people now have a Fitbit, don't they? Mm-hmm. And they measure their steps and they count their steps and, and you can get it to produce that nice little chart that shows you how, you know, how your performance is changing over time. That's an improvement tool. That's a run chart. When it produces that little line that goes up and down and shows you've done well this week and you've done as much today, and you've got, that's a run chart. And what that does is you look at it and you can go, oh, what happened that day? Oh, I didn't do very well that day. Oh, that was the day after, I don't know, perhaps I, perhaps I was poorly, I didn't go out. And so using a run chart is a really nice way of being able to see what's happening over time. And it's a really, really simple thing to do. You just decide the thing that you're going to measure, you count it each day, you plot it on a chart and you can start to see a pattern. And being able to see the pattern is the bit that tells you what's really happening. So I might think... I'm really good at at running every day. I might think I do 10,000 steps a day, but when I plot my own data and it's my data, I've collected it. It's not somebody else's. It's not being used to be, I can see what I'm actually doing and I can make a decision about what I choose to change. So run charts, really nice way of being able to make visible what's actually happening rather than what we think is happening. 
And I think I've recently done my end of year finances and I plot my, um, you know, my yearly turnover, my yearly profit. And you can see, you know, the pattern each year. And I think even I use an app called, it's a productivity app called Toggle. So every time I do a task, I click start, I do my task and I click finish. And you know, you think, oh, I've been so busy today. I've been doing all this stuff. It's like, oh, I spent quite a lot of time just answering emails. Um, You know, like I took a longer lunch break than I thought I was going to do. When you start tracking your time or tracking the um, monitoring your focus, it really does change. And it is powerful to see what comes back. Absolutely. That's a really good example. And I think it really illustrates that point about, what we think we do, what we should do, what we say we do and what we actually do may all be completely different. And the nice thing about capturing your data and displaying it in that way is it's yours. You, it's nobody else's. You choose whether you respond to that or not. But what it's telling you is this is what's actually happening. And is that what, you know, if you want, it, if you want that to look different, you have to do something different. It's not just going to change because you want it to. You have, you know, if you want things to be different, you have to do something different. There's a couple of things, actually. This idea of making things visible is a real core part of quality improvement. So if you think about, um, I don't know, some people might have this in their sheds. Depends um, <laughs> how controlling they are. So my dad used to have a <laughs> shadow board in his shed. You know, you know where you have the tool rack on the wall? Yeah. And it's where you hang all your tools. And around each tool, you draw a shape. So that when you take that tool down, you can see what's missing because the shape of it is left behind and it makes it really easy to put things back. And it also makes it really easy to see what's missing. And that's one of the things that we can do um, in healthcare is if you have a very good, very systematic way of, of ordering stuff and, and storing stuff, you can see very quickly when something's missing or when something's in the wrong place, or if something um, needs reordering, that kind of thing. It's a really nice way of showing this thing should be here and it isn't here. What do I need to do? So that's a real simple, you know, this thing of it's very visible when something's not in place. The other one that um, people probably know about is something called process mapping. Now there's different ways of doing process mapping. Um, and the one that people often are aware of, but might not relate back to work or healthcare is um, it's a, a spaghetti map. And that's when you draw If you're designing a kitchen, that's where people have usually come across it. So you will lay out the shape, you you draw the shape of the room on a bit of paper, and then you'll put in where you think you might want your units to go and your sink to go and your cooker to go and your fridge to go. And what the kitchen designers will always say is you want to make a real nice, neat triangle between your cooker, your sink and your fridge. And what, and when you, the reason that you do that is if you, lay out your kitchen design and then you say to yourself right imagine in this kitchen I want to make a cup of tea what do I have to do so I with your pencil you draw from the door where would I go first of all to to fill the kettle then where would I go to get the tea bags then where would I go to get the cup then where would I go to get the milk then where would I go back to make the tea and what you start to see is how many little journeys it takes how many backwards and forwards it takes for you to do that piece of work and being able to see it makes you think, do you know, that's really going to annoy me very quickly if I'm having to go backwards and forwards between all these different spots. If I move those things around and I can make it much simpler, it will be much easier to work in my kitchen and I'll, be, I'll find it much easier to, to do the tasks I need to do without wasting time and, and, um, and effort and energy. 
discipline. And that's something we can do at work as well. What I like about that example is when you're taking that into a healthcare setting, those loops that you're doing create opportunities for error. So, you know, the more you're in it, kind of circling around and going back and forth and ups and downs, that's when you start, that's where the issues start because there is not a clear line to the destination or a clear process. It's easy um, so for I things think... to go wrong. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's some real simple examples. I did some work somewhere years ago. And, and one of the things we did, we did one of these little maps because we couldn't, you know, people were fed up with how much time it was taking. They felt they were very inefficient. They couldn't understand you know, everything. A bit like you were saying, when you plot your task, you suddenly realize you're spending a huge amount of time walking up and down or doing so. The thing we did was move the printer and it saved hours a week because everybody was having to walk up and down around. And the, it wasn't just the walking up and down. It was the stopping to talk to people on the way because you had if you were moving about a lot so you'd be walking down the corridor to go and get your stuff from the printer and then somebody would stop you and interrupt you so a, a two minute trip becomes a 10 minute trip and it happens so many times a day and um, so that sort of thing it doesn't have to be a big change that can have a significant impact i would like to talk about the tool that everybody has that I feel like they, they don't know how to use it. And that is the power of the post-it note. Oh, yes. My favourite. <laughs> <laughs> and that we use, I think if you've ever, if anybody's been part of a time for care session, mm -hmm. you will know we love a post-it. And it's got to the point where I think Sophie's got post-its of men, you know, like <laughs> I think I said about 50 quid on all these different shapes. Um, we love a post-it note to help visualize um, a process to help get thoughts out on paper to help make sure everybody's voice is heard because when we do this stuff it's a collaborative effort and usually and in any group it's not bad you'll get people that are more vocal and you'll get people that don't say anything and allowing people to quietly write their thoughts on a post-it mm -hmm. and share them is a way to make sure their voice is heard if they're not as vocal as other people how do you use post-its in your sessions I use them for almost everything. So the, 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 the example you've just given is a really good one. So that we, we talk about the democratising power of the post-it note, that if everybody has post-its and we might start off with everybody write down an idea and then we can go around and make sure that everybody has a chance to put their ideas out and they're all equal, um, that's a really important thing to be able to do in a group of people, as you say, so that everybody gets heard but also, so it's not just that everybody gets heard, it's just that everybody gets heard equally. So really helpful for that. Um, the other thing, well, there's, there's so many things. I, I use them for capturing what went well and even better ifs at the end of a session. So everybody writes down there what, one thing that they thought went well and sticks that on one side. One thing that could have been even better, they can stick on another side. You can theme them. You can use them then to come up with some actions that you might do differently next time. The big one is around the other, you know, I was talking about process mapping in terms of a spaghetti map, but post-its are a really good way of capturing what your current process is or what a future process might be. So that if you, um, the, the beauty of the post-it note is that if you're trying to work out um, a really complex system or understand a really complex problem, the beauty of the post-it note is you write all the, get all the ideas out onto individual post-it notes and, 
And that's the rule. One idea, one post-it note. (laughs) Don't write three on one post-it. Really not helpful. People always do. (laughs) They do. Um, And always write in a Sharpie or a a thicker felt pen type pen because then you can see them once they're up on the wall. If you write them in biro, you can't see them. But get the ideas out and stick them up on the wall and then you can move them about. So that's the reason we're so um, in love with the post-it note is you you can manage that thing of get get everything out into the open without constraining people's thinking by trying to order it as they do it. Get all the post-its up on the wall and then you can start to say, well, there's a bit of a group here or actually we need to change the order of those things or can we put some, can we colour theme some of them? Can we make it, can we make it really visible? What are the things that we've identified that we want to do something about? Can we take them off as we do them? One of the things that um, I, I use at home is um uh, i have the post-its for things that st- that, uh, that are to do things that i and then i can move them across as I, these are the ones i'm doing today and then these are the ones then when they're done they can go on the right so if i've got a series of tasks i need to do for a particular piece of work i can see how many things i've done how many things i've still got outstanding it's just a nice way of it being really visible okay i've really got to remember that one is still waiting to be done um but the, it's that beauty of you can move it about. It doesn't matter. It's a post-it note. You know, you, you haven't committed yourself in pen that you got <laughs> on a piece of paper that you now can't move or rub out or change. And it's, um, it's a bit of fun as well. It's a bit more active and engaging than just sitting down and writing a plan. People, people respond better to the getting up, moving it about, getting engaged with that process. So I just wanted to summarise. So we've talked about when we're starting a project, we really want to find out what the problem is. And we do that by collecting data in a really simple way. Um, it may be like keeping a, you know, like a journal. It may be keeping a tally chart. It may be uh, pulling off a clinical audit um, and just examining, looking for trends and looking for is the issue what I thought it is or actually what's happening over there? So collecting that data and analysing it in a non, just looking at the data for what it is. I think there we also mentioned, you mentioned the run chart. So collecting your data, and that can be financial. It can be um, what actually we talked about. You gave the Fitbit example, but what sorts of things would you put in a run chart actually? Um, so you might put, Well, one of the ones I was talking to somebody about this week was um, staffing levels. So uh, number of staff absent um, and plotting that over a run chart and being able to see that on these days, you know, it's normally around this level. So is it a problem? The number of people who are off at any one time, is that a problem? And then um, a colleague was saying, yeah, we we did one of those and there was this huge drop. On one place, we all you know, we were really short-staffed on this particular for these three particular days. What happened there? It was way out of line, and what it turned out was that um, about half the staff had gone off on a Hindu, <laughs> and that's what that was. But the interesting thing was that the remaining staff were able to say, "Yeah, do you know that that week was hell." Mm-hmm. So that what it showed was everybody was quite happy for people to go off on the Hindu. It wasn't an issue, but the impact on, on colleagues was actually, that was really significant. We need to think about that if we're going to do that again. So it might be something like that. People collect complaints, for example. How many complaints do we get coming in? Um, what time of day do we run out of appointments? That's another one that's quite interesting to collect and see, you know, what's that telling us? So actually, is it, 
and at the what time of day do we run out of appointments so that would mean you would have the times up your uh, y-axis and the days across the bottom if your project or your your improvement um project is about we actually want to have we want we want people to be able to get an appointment we want our staff not to be run completely frazzled by lunchtime being able to see that the changes we're making are starting to improve that is massively motivating so at the moment we've always run out by half past eight we're going to try uh, some care navigation stuff starting next week does it make a difference um, can we see it making a difference because the the truth is that with improvement work you're tending to make a series of small changes so you're tending to try and build on things rather than sitting in a darkened room for six months planning a massive change and then implementing it in one fell swoop and then being totally invested in proving that it works and having to do a lot of remedial yeah. work because you haven't thought all the problems through the approach we're, we're trying to get people to make is say well let's just try one thing for one day and if it doesn't work it's no big deal we can undo it and if it does work we can try it on a bit bigger scale the next day so something like being able to see, am I having some impact, is really, really powerful. And over time, you look back and go, gosh, look how far we've come. You know, it's taken us, it might have taken us six weeks, might have taken us six months, but we can see things are improving. We can start to feel a difference, but we can prove it to other people that it's different as well. And then we talked about post-its. And I think from a facilitation point of view, it is a good tool to make sure or a good tool to enable everybody to get their voice heard. And because they are sticky, you can move them around. You can do use different colours. You can use different shapes to kind of say to map your processes. I think it's I think it's fantastic, and everybody's got that. And I would suggest that when you're thinking about what is the issue, what do I want to fix? I want the first thing people to do is to get out their post-it notes. What it's everybody's different take on what the problem is. What do yeah. We, how do we all know? Because getting those ideas out about why is this a problem for us? And how you see it might be different to how I see it. You might have a different mm. take on it. And that gives us more chances to make more changes that will deliver the improvement that we want to see. Um, is it okay to adapt tools? Well, most, I think most of the tools that we use are adaptations of something else anyway. Mm. They've sort of evolved over time. I think there's something about um, tried and tested means if you do it this way and trust the process you will get something out the other end mm -hmm. and, and i'm also mindful of that thing you know all models are wrong but some are useful so not there is no one tool that will always be right for every situation mm -hmm. and there's also people do have personal preferences so you know some people hate post-it notes for, I, you know i have been to sessions where somebody's going you're not bringing the post-it notes out again are you because i'm leaving if you are <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, some people have a real aversion to them. to be fair she did stay and she did produce some really good um insights so that was that was fair <laughs> enough um can you adapt them the, the purpose of the tools is to help you be more effective in the changes that you make so if adapting a tool means you can use it to a better purpose then by all means adapt it the reason why i ask that is that i think that the language we use around run charts and you know i love the fishbone i mean i don't think swat is a quality improvement tool but i used that the other day and i think that sometimes you know when you look at a tool and you're just like i kind of get it if it if i can i just do this can i make it like this and then i get it and i think that the tools are fantastic. They are tried and tested. But I think for those people that are just like, I just, 
I don't want to do it that way. It doesn't fit and I want to change it. I think that that's okay. I think the tools spark a different way of thinking. And that's the purpose of the tool, to help structure your thoughts, to help structure the change in a way that is meaningful to you. And I think the reason why I say that is that we don't want people to um, be, we're not there to push people and say, you have to use it like this. This is how we use it. How can you make it meaningful to you? So then they really own it. Otherwise, we can't transfer the knowledge. No, I entirely agree. And I think that the, the, the whole point about quality improvement is that it, you know, go back to what I said at the beginning, it's that the, the combined and unceasing efforts of everyone, it should be, it is accessible to everyone. And the intention is it makes it easier for you to do the things that will deliver the changes that you want to see rather than just a change. So the point about being able to adapt it and use it the way that you want, there's no reason not to. I think the advantage is if you've seen, if you've, if you've been shown a tool and you've seen the potential for it, you then go away and use it in a way that makes sense to you. Yeah. There is no, you know, you don't, a, a process map looks different. Everybody who, who process maps, the maps will look different. So, you know, if you, if you ask a purist, they'll say, oh, if you want to produce a good process map, uh, you need, you need a, you know, three hours to do it. You need everybody in the room. You need to use these specific colors. You need to do this. You need to join up like that. You need to, you know, I've done process maps in 20 minutes. Yeah. And the point is, what will help move us forward? If, if it works for you to do it with um, a completely different layout, if it works for you to use, use it for a different mean, do that because it's not, you're not going to break anything by doing it differently. If it's not working, don't use it. If it is working yeah. for you, carry on. I think there's, um, the, you mentioned fishbone. I like fishbones too. And fishbone originally, I think, was designed uh, as a problem solving. So you start with a problem and then what are the factors that are causing this problem? But you can just as well use it for saying, this is the stuff we want. This is um, a project we want to run. What are some of the things we want to think about? Yeah, that's how I use it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's, the tools are there to help you. They're not there to constrain you. So I've, wondered, I've been making notes as we've been talking, and you've used phrases like, does it make a difference? What will help you move forward? And I think that curiosity versus, uh, you know, we're there to be curious um, and not criticise. How do we know um, it works? And if we want to do something different, we need to actually do something different. And I think that is those phrases, that mindset is, you know, is, is quality improvement. And I think we've used in the faculty, I think you said it the other day, it's helping people to, you said something like, helping people to be better at what they already do. Sometimes there is a real issue that needs to be thought through. Sometimes it may be, we work in the field of primary care, um, the practice may be really helpful, but you said, what will help us move forward? You can be performing at a really high level, but still make improvements to move forward. And I think, and that's with service, you've got the DES coming up, um, being implemented all of those service specifications rather than you could just look at them as a contract that we need to deliver there is a service and maybe it's service redesign and I think starting with this is the contract this is what we think the issue is let's explore the issues let's create let's take a step back really look at the service what do we want what it's what difference is it really going to make I think quality improvement 
um, that having that approach to it rather than just going through the motions and ticking the boxes um, can really, really help transform. I think you've said in the past, transform people's work because they're not making mistakes. They're not duplicating the effort. They're not feeling frustrated. They're not having to constantly make workarounds to make something work. And I think that the point you make about, you know, there's new services coming online and things people need to deliver. I think some of the quality improvement mindset and approaches are really invaluable there because we tend to go down the add on to what we've already got route. So we've got to now introduce a new service. So what else do we need to do? And some of that thinking, which says, okay, so what have we got? Let's, you know, the, the old post-it note thing again, yeah. what are all the things we currently do who, and how, who does them? Let's get them out there, find a way to make it visible. And then how might we move those bits around to come up with a better solution overall it's not always about adding to your workload it's more about how can we do the work differently and um, so that it's safer and easier and better and more enjoyable and and that 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 attitude which says well that's interesting how else could we do it it's interesting in the fact that um dr fasana hussein who is a clinical director and she also is a co-chair in the nhs confederation has recently created a drive-through child immunization clinic due to covid and she done that she started with doing pdsa and post-it notes and that's pdsa stands for plan do study act and they're constantly going around that cycle. They've, planned, they've identified the issue, they've, they've looked at a solution, and they, that solution of the drive-through is taking an innovation from fast food, from there is drive-through COVID hubs. It's, the solutions are adaptations of innovations that have already happened. And I think that's really key. And what's really nice is that they're constantly learning, they're constantly having that huddle and asking themselves what went well, what could have been even better if. And that the the end result will be better, more sustainable, more workable for them and their patients, because when we build it as we, you know, you, you're not, as I said before, you're not going for the big bang. Again, we've thought about this. It's going to be absolute, but this is how we're going to do it. You're going, let's try it like this. Does that work? If it doesn't work, what do we need to change? So then we can build on the next step. So you're actually making changes more quickly because you're building on the successes and you're eliminating the failures as you go along rather than putting something in place and then finding it doesn't work and then putting a huge amount of energy into trying to educate patients to use it properly when actually you didn't design it properly in the first place. So to close out, if you guys are listening that work in primary care and you get emails and bulletins that come out that say time for care, quality improvement, do not delete those emails. Do not delete them because we or Time for Care faculty is offering fully funded support for facilitators to come into your primary care network, to come into your practice, to help you, to educate you and for us to pass on the skills. So next time when you do, when you've got a new contract or you encounter a problem, you have got that toolkit to be able to say, OK, well, let's get out the post-its. Let's look at let's look at the audit. Let's really understand what the issue is and where we want to go. That support is available to you. And they, yeah, there's a big, there's, a, there's an army of us that love doing this stuff. Absolutely love it, and it makes such a difference. It really, really does. So that is my plea. When you see those emails come out, just take a second look um, and respond. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. So did I. Thanks. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and we hope that you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, we would love it if you left us an iTunes review or if you comment, like and share it on our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. If you need support or you are looking for advice on how to progress one of your initiatives, please drop us an email so I can arrange a call with you so we can discuss this further. Our email is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk. We've been helping primary care networks with their development plans, helping them to make the most of their network meetings, sharing training resources. We've had questions like what do we include in a project plan? We have implemented network-based contracts across GP federations. We also support the day-to-day operational management of training hubs and have also got experience in setting them up from scratch. If we can't help you, we definitely know some people who will be able to help you. So please do get in touch. And that's just to remind you, our email address is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk or come and find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. Podcast.